I love it. It's good. So a new reason, new reason to pick on your pastor, as if you needed another one, is um, how many of you were halfway down the carpet coming into church before you realized it had been changed? All right, so you and me, uh, you can also pick on Ms. Sherry Taylor. So I, the carpet had been replaced by Circle One. They had just seen that need, and uh, they got that replaced. That went in Friday, so Saturday morning I come into work, and I'm a third of the way down, and it wasn't the appearance that caught me. I just felt like something was different under my feet, like it was soft. And so I don't know if I thought I, was, I stepped in something, you know, like, and I stopped. Like, oh, yes, that's right, new carpet, you know, and I, had com- I knew it was going in, and I didn't realize it at first. Looks amazing. We're so very thankful for Circle One, uh, just seeing needs and meeting them. And so glad to have a, a nice-looking entrance again right there. So many thanks to them. I would invite you to turn to John chapter 4 this morning in reference to our message. Uh, page 752 in the Pew Bible, if you'd like to use that. Page 752. But we're going to be in John chapter 4. Last week, I started off this uh, message series called My Mess, and, and we're going to kind of work our way through John 4, looking at the mess that different people were in and how it relates to ours. But I, I tell you, I'm already at a place where I just feel like even if there wasn't a message, and I don't want to say that too much because some of you will vote yes, but uh, if, if there wasn't a message, we should already be encouraged by what God's doing. But through VBS, camp, uh, Relay for Life and other events coming up, the, the meetings, the small groups, so many great things. And there are, that doesn't even touch what some of our mission partners are doing. The Salvation Army, Catholic Charities, uh, Choices, and uh, the Food Pantry. Just great things happening in our community. I think we're well aware many times of the bad things that go on. But man, we need a loud voice, and I'm just trying to be that voice right now, to let you know the great things that are going on. And the opportunities that are there for you. What a blessing. In reference to today's mess, did you ever notice that most messes that you find yourself in, you didn't create them by yourself? I'm talking about any kind of mess. I'm talking about maybe an emotional mess that you're in, or a situation, a circumstance, or a physical mess, right? Like you just don't know. Uh, you, you don't come upon those on your own. You didn't get there your own. Um, I can tell you, so again, I'm the only safe person I can pick on when talking about messes. I remember as a child, uh, we had kind of a garage, and then down the hill was a chicken coop, and there was this hill that went down through there. And, and we did not know as children that there used to be, I don't know if it was like an official junkyard, but when my dad purchased that home, it was a junkyard. So we began to see things in the dirt and in the grass, broken ceramic and things like that. And we had this idea like, we should start digging for these treasures in the yard, you know. And this was a yard that was mowed. Uh, In fact, it bordered kind of a rock garden. My dad loved rocks. I love rocks. He had a rock garden there. So we just started digging with whatever we could find. And some of the soil became hard, and we, we quickly started finding other trinkets that had just, you know, pieces of junk, but to us were treasures. So we thought to ourselves that digging was getting hard. Uh, We knew better than to grab dead shovels. So we thought if we use the hose to soften the dirt, 
we could really start getting someplace. So I did not do this on my own, but one day my dad comes home, and here is a minefield, some foxholes, he's really not sure, and we explained that we had discovered treasure. And maybe he wasn't as enthused as we were. Um, the water did soften the dirt. It also created an incredible kind of mudslide effect. And um, I don't know how excited my mom was by that either. But I, 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 you don't get there alone. I didn't get into that mess alone. I had help from siblings. I'm sure I led the charge, but uh, we, we were all there, right? We're all in a mess. You know, for some of you, last week I asked you, to just kind of identify to yourself, not important for anyone else to know, but identify to yourself a mess. A mess in, in, a lot in your life or in the past or something you're facing now. And, and I'll, I bet some of you, when I said just picture a mess, so you pictured someone else. You know, like, and, and I don't want you to do that. Because we can't really change other people. And if we identify our messes as other people's fault, then we've got a different kind of a mess. But we don't get into the me- most of the messes in our lives alone. We don't get into them alone. And so what I want to challenge you today with from this scripture, from this passage, is that it, it may be that you can't fix it alone. We don't get into these messes alone, but oftentimes we try to fix them alone. And I, and I have a proof of this. I have a proof of this. Moms, uh, check out this picture right here. Caught this off of Facebook. just want to know if this is true. It, at the top, it's a picture of a nice, clean kitchen. It says, yes, I got my dishes done. And then at the bottom, it says, meanwhile, in the living room. And it's just a picture of a, an explosion that has happened in the living room. It looks like a pile of stuff. So I don't know if you can see that or not, but moms, would that be somewhat accurate in terms of no one really wants to confess? I know it's true. Oftentimes, in terms of moms, you cleaning the house, you may be going after something. You may be getting this done, like, okay, I got this done. And you did it by yourself. You got it done right. But somehow, something else blew up while that was taking place. Some other room spontaneously erupted. Somehow, toys just appeared. Toys that were in other parts of the house are now piled into a space that was never designed for toys. You know, for some of you adults, you believe that the movie Toy Story may be factual because of the way toys can appear out of nowhere. This may be true. The point is, is, moms, you know, as you attack your house, as you attack the mess, and you may be doing it alone, the thing is, is there's a group of people, and I'm not going to say they're working against you, but they may be working against the idea of a clean house. It takes more than one person to make a mess, and sometimes it takes more than one person to solve it. Well, as always, as each time we come to this, we're not going to talk about your mess or my mess. We're going to look at the mess of, of, in this case, a lady. Uh, she doesn't have a name. She's identified as a Samaritan woman uh, because we know she was a woman and we know we should, uh, she was a Samaritan. And she has a mess. And, and I want us to dive into this. And we're kind of going to approach this passage as a story. It is written as a story. But I want to hopefully point out to you what Jesus is doing in this story and the mess that this lady is coming from 
and the solution to you. And, and, I, and I have news for you, as I did last week. There's a principle in this message that works for you, whether you're a follower of Christ, not a follower of Christ. You're sitting there like, I'm, I'm just not you know, completely faith-based yet. I just have some questions. That's fine. There is a principle here that can work in life in general. But there is also an incredible message of faith. So looking at John chapter 4, I want to begin reading in verse 4. To, it somewhat sets the scene. It says, Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. So here it is in the daytime, and Jesus has come to the well, and he's tired, he's kind of sat down, and we're going to find out that, that his disciples had gone on. We're going to read that down in verse 8. They're not there. Jesus is by himself. He's just sitting by the well. Now, verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Now, here's Jesus, and I want you to understand, from the very beginning, Jesus is pursuing her. He, going through Samaria, Maria was not something that Jews did. Jesus really did something out of the ordinary to do that. Jesus knew all things. He knew this lady would be at the well. He sits down, and he, he just waits for her. And then, instead of ignoring her, which is what any Jewish man should do according to the culture, he addresses her. He says, will you give me a drink? And in verse 8, his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Now, in verse 9, Jesus is pursuing. If you're taking, if you're taking notes, we see Jesus initiates. But in verses 8 through 9, we see the Samaritan woman push back against the culture. And I'll explain that in a minute. Let's read verses 8 through 9. Uh, his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And, and this is very interesting here that John includes this, John being a Jew. John kind of write, makes sure that this is noted. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Very interesting that John would include that. I think he's including that because Jesus changed their hearts. He changed the disciples' hearts from being Jewish only to Gentiles and Samaritans also. And John is writing this after the resurrection. So John's including that. He's saying, listen, at that time, Jew, we didn't associate with Samaritans. Jews still don't associate with Samaritans. Jesus did. And this lady knew that. And so right away, she pushes back against culture, if you're taking notes. The culture was men didn't really talk to women in public especially if you were in a private setting. I mean, they were at a public well, but as far as we know, they're the only two present. Men didn't talk to ladies like this. Jews did not associate with Samaritans at all. An Orthodox Jew would rather go thirsty than to ever speak to a Samaritan. Very um, just racist in, in, in what they were doing to the Samaritans. They were just very against the Samaritans, saw them as being inferior 
um, very mean culture at that time. And so this lady had grown up in a culture where men didn't appreciate women the way we do today. And we're going to find out that she's been even probably more mistreated by men. Jews did not, Jews mistreated Samaritans. And she didn't need to know you to know that you as a Jew were going to mistreat her. She'd been hurt by them. In fact, there, there may even be, and we don't know this for sure, but in the way this is written, she may be responding to Jesus kind of sarcastically, I, and, and I get this feeling throughout this. She's really against what he represents. She doesn't know he's, you know, the Son of God. She doesn't know he's a Messiah. That doesn't come until later in the conversation. But what she's saying is kind of like, why are you even talking to me? Because I happen to know that for the most part, you Jews don't even talk to us. But now that you're thirsty, you're going to talk to me. That's really the emotion, I think, that's behind this, the way it's written. So I'm not good enough for you unless you need something, and then you'll talk to me. This doesn't phase Jesus. Jesus initiates this. He goes out of his way to talk to her. He initiates the conversation. Now he's going to pursue her in verse 10. It says, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. He's kind of teasing this out, but the reason he's teasing it out is because he's trying to get into what her mess is. He wants to solve this mess. He doesn't want to just tell her something. He wants to help. And so he's, he's teasing this out. He pursues her. He's like, okay, you're being sarcastic with me. You're pushing back against, I, I'm sure, the way other Jews have treated you. I'm not even really going to acknowledge that. I just want you to know, if you knew who I was, I, and that I offer you living water. Well, the lady pushes back again. He's pursuing her, but she pushes back. Verse 11, Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? This, this is, and I'm not going to take the time to dive into the history, but this is, she's pushing back against religion. Because at this time, uh, this, many of the Samaritans and the Jews, they were descended from Jacob, and the Jews really felt like they were the true descendants. That, you know, they, they were it. And Samaritans were only kind of half-descendants, and therefore not as meaningful. And so what she's doing to Jesus is she's kind of mocking him a little bit and saying, where are you going to get this living water? You don't even have anything to draw water with. Are you saying you're better than our father? And she's referencing something that Jews would have been, Jews would have lit up over that statement. They would have just bristled. It's like, come on, that's not your father. That's our father. It's only partly your father. You don't, you don't get to claim him. He's ours. This well is ours. We, I mean, there would have been a whole argument. And this lady has heard this argument before, and she's just kind of throwing it out there like, I'm not really listening to you, Jesus. I've been hurt by religion before. If that's where you're going, I'm pushing back against it. 
I'm just throwing it out there. Like, are you greater than Jacob, who's our father? She just, again, just bristling because of the hurt she had experienced from the culture and the hurt she had experienced from religion. Again, Jesus doesn't take the bait. Jesus isn't interested in arguing a point of theology. Jesus wants to help. Jesus wants to help. And so in verse 15, I'm sorry, in verse 13, he, he comes and gives her a little bit more information. Teases it out again a little bit. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, meaning the water in the well. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water. And now he adds something, welling up to eternal life. Jesus doesn't take the bait for this argument on theology, this argument about religion. He's like, that's not important. He gets back to what he's trying to share with her. Basically, I can help you. I can help meet your need. I'm not talking about the water in the well. I'm talking about something that will change you to the point where you well up. And what I'm talking about is eternal. It's something that you need. It's something that you actually want. But you're pushing back against me. So he doesn't take the bait. He's not interested in an argument. He's interested in offering hope. And in verse 15 we see that she's going to push back against this hope. She's pushed back against the culture. She's pushed back against religion. Now she's going to push back against the hope that Jesus is offering. Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Again, much of the way this is written lends to sarcasm. Much of the way this is structured... All she knows about Jesus at this point is that he's a man and he's a Jew. And all of the men and Jews that she's bumped into are not great people. And so at this point, I think she's kind of going, all right, let's see it. If you keep talking about this water, let me see it. And uh, you're probably going to try to sell it to me or something. It's probably a trick. But if you're saying I don't have to come back to this well, that'd be great. Again, I think bordering on taunting she's just she's had enough of people like this and it she doesn't want to hear about eternal life she just she's still defensive and pushing back against this hope that jesus offers but again very similar to last week where nicodemus asked a question but maybe it was sarcastic jesus is like oh you're asking a question great you're asking me for something, even though you maybe don't think I can offer it. Maybe you don't think this is legitimate, but you're asking. So now, Jesus has gotten to a point where maybe he's at least piqued her interest enough that he goes after her mess. He goes straight to what her mess was. In verse 16, he told her, well, go call your husband and then come back. I'm, you know, I'm going to talk more about this living water, but uh, why don't you go get your husband and come back? And she says to him, I have no husband, she replied. And now Jesus really makes himself known as something more than just a Jewish man. 
Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. So what you have just said is quite true. And I love the lady's response, right? I mean, at that point, I'm going, you know what, I got to go. You know, I've never met you before. You know all of this. You, you know this about me. Um, so in verse 19, here's the lady's response. Uh, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. At this point, she realizes, I can see that there's something more about you than what I've thought this entire time. I'm willing to acknowledge that you must be a prophet, that you know things about me that most people don't know. That you, I've never seen you before, and yet you know my past. And who knows how long this past had gone on. Who knew how many people really knew this. But I think at this point, we ha- I want to get back to the mess that she's in. And I'm not, I'm not talking about the mess as the fact that she's been with five men and is living with someone she's not married to. That's not, to me, that's not the main mess. To me, that's not the mess. That's not a situation that I think she wanted to be in or that was healthy for her, but that's not the mess. Think about some of the things that she's been hurt by. One, and I haven't talk, spoke on this, the fact that she came to the well in the middle of the day alone says a lot. One, ladies did not come to the well in the middle of the day. It was hot. You did not want to be hauling water back to town when it was hot. You did it in the morning. You also did not want to be out there as a lady alone. There was safety in numbers, so ladies of the town would come to the well in the morning, and there would be many ladies there, and you would talk, and you would chat, and everything. The fact that she came to the well alone is a strong indication that she did not have a community of ladies around her. It's not a guarantee, but more than likely, because of her past regarding these men, because of when she came to the well, because she came to it alone, she did not have a group of ladies around her. She was alone. She was hurt. She had been hurt, obviously, by men. Both by the way culture treated women, that would have been enough, but it is very safe to assume that the way, the fact that she had been married to five men and was now living with someone who did not care enough about her to marry her meant that this was incredibly difficult, that she had almost certainly been mistreated by men in her lifetime. So she had been hurt by the community of ladies. She's hurt by men. She's hurt by culture. She's been hurt by religion. Her whole life has been people yelling at her going, you are inferior. You can't even be a part of our religion. And Jesus in this moment is not Jesus embodying in her mind everything that had hurt her. He's a man. He's religious. He's a Jew. I, I just don't want, I'm not going to let you get close to me. I'm not going to let you get close to my heart. I have been hurt too much. And we see this in, in verse 20 because she, even now, as she knows that he's at least a prophet, and he's still, this entire conversation has been kind. He's not taking the bait to fight her. He's, he's not doing any of that. He's been kind. But look in verse 20. She still pushes back. She says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, 
But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. See, <clears throat> she's pushing back against help. Jesus is saying, you know what, let's talk about the mess you're in. And she's like, hmm, I can see you're a prophet. How about we go back to the whole argument on religion? You didn't really take me up on that, but I'd rather talk about religion as a whole and the problems I see with it as opposed to my own issues that you may want to help me with. I don't want to talk about that. So um, let me just throw out this other thing. You know, you Jews say that you worship here, but we worship here. So what do you have to say about that? You know, it's like a diversionary tactic. It's like, I'd rather talk about anything than me. She's just pushing back against others. This is, this is how she's living. Her mess was a past filled with hurt that had left her living as if others would hurt her. The Samaritan woman's mess is that she was living with a past loaded with hurt. And she was living as if the next person was going to hurt her. She just believed that. She's like, this, this is what's going to happen. From the second Jesus spoke to her, she was ready. Okay, you're going to hurt me. The answer to that mess, and whether it's faith-based or not faith-based, this is, this is for all of us in every situation, is if you're here and you have a past filled with hurt, and you know it's a mess. The way to get over that is to live as if others can help. I'm not saying live as if every person that you bump into is going to help you. That's not what I'm saying. But what we do when we've been hurt so much in our past, I've done this, I'm sure many of you have done this, is we just, we're ready. The next person's going to hurt me. The next guy's going to hurt me. The next lady's going to hurt me. The next employer's going to hurt me. The next co-worker's going to hurt me. The next pastor's going to hurt me. The next person in my small group's going to hurt me. The next, I mean, we just trained ourselves. They're going to hurt me. And the only way to get past that mess, the only way to deal with that mess that was not created by us, we were a part of it, but it wasn't created by us. It was created because other people hurt us. Is to start to believe and live as if others can help. To believe that it's possible that God has people out there or that there are people out there who are still caring enough that they can help us. We have to let them help. We have to leave a space in our lives open enough for someone to come and help. If we just stay completely defensive and we don't trust anyone, we're trying to clean up a mess that we did not create that's going to require other people's help to clean up. That's the principle, I think, from the Samaritan woman's mess that can be applied in whatever arena you want to put it in. In your family, at work, with friends, in the church, at school, whatever it is. Live as if others can help. Now, there's the rest of this story, which is beautiful in regards to faith. And it shows us kind of what has happened and, and, and I think hopefully leaves you, those who have trusted in Christ, with a feeling of great encouragement because 
Jesus, this last blank, Jesus is the answer. And he's going to give her the help. So she is pushed back at him time and time again. And now we're going to see her get to a point of faith. Jesus declared, this is verse 21, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And I believe now this woman starts to open up. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And here's another moment where Jesus testifies about himself. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. What an incredible moment. What an amazing love that we see from Christ in this story. How many times are we like this woman where we push back, we push back, we push back, and Jesus just sits there and he, he initiates, he pursues, he offers hope, he offers help, and, it, and we, we push back, we push back, and he never stops loving us. Always continues to offer this hope, and he offers it to this lady. And here's the amazing part. Go to verse 39. I have to turn a page. You may not, but verse 39 kind of gives us a summary after some of this has happened. The disciples come back. They chat a little bit, but check out this testimony. Verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him, because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, who they probably didn't talk to before, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Here's the amazing thing about the Samaritan woman, and the amazing thing that if you're here and, and, and you're on a faith journey, here's what Jesus does. When we let Jesus be that other person that helps us with our mess, our story can change from one of hurt to one of hope. Her story and the way she, what she had trained herself to do is whoever comes into my life, especially if it's this type of person, they're going to hurt me. And her story went from one of hurt to one of hope. Jesus was there long enough. She finally let down the defenses enough that Jesus changed her life. And she went into town, and the people who had mistreated her, she told about Jesus. And she said, you've got to meet this man. And they're like, you want me to meet another man? This man told me everything that I had ever done. And they heard him and they begged him to stay. Please just keep talking, Jesus. Please don't go away. And then after two days, they went to the lady and they said, thank you so much for letting us know about Jesus. I'm no longer believing just off of what you said. I've heard it for myself and now I'm filled with hope. What an amazing, amazing story. And if you're here 
this morning, and you believe that, that Christ is alive in your life, that you are a follower of Christ, the mess that you're in, if it's similar to the Samaritan ladies, if it's not same as the Samaritan lady, the mess that exists in your life, you don't have to clean it up yourself. And for many of you, you can't do it. You're not meant to do it alone. And your Savior, Jesus, wants to help. He wants to change your story of hurt to one of hope. And as we close this service, I'd like to sing a song with you, a, a, a hymn that you may know well. It's a hymn entitled, It Is Well With My Soul. And it's a story that says, you know, no matter what the mess is of life regarding if they're sinful, if they're not sinful, if they're just trials, if whatever it is, it's going to be well with my soul because I have a Savior that is present with me. So I invite you to stand. And, and if in this time, you just need to pray. Maybe you need to be, come forward to pray. You need to pray where you are. You want to sing. Whatever it is that you feel you need to do so that 